and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. When God instructed Noah to build an ark, he did so because wickedness had overcome the world. The imaginations of men's hearts was evil only continually. And God looked upon the face and heart of mankind and he said, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so he found a fellow by the name of Noah. He found a fellow by the name of Noah who uh, he found to be godly and righteous in his generation. A man who understood the nature of God's responsibility to a family. And he led his family, obviously, because God instructed Noah to build an ark for the purpose of saving his sons and his daughters amid a wicked and perverse generation. And so, for over a hundred years, Noah, in obedience, persisting, pressing on, just as you and I are called to do in this wicked time, he built an ark. Did you know that God intends for you and me to build an ark as well? It was a number of years ago, maybe 25 years ago, that the Gaither Bolko Band sang a song that captured the heart and mind of our family. Build an ark. Build an ark. Save your sons and your daughters. Well, today on Viewpoint, we have a very special treat for you because Noah, or rather at least someone who built the ark, is with us. His name is Ken Ham. And he's not here to ham it up, but he is here to talk about our families and why it is that you and I need to build an ark in our time. Ken Ham joining us, talking about the family. Will they, that is your children, my grandchildren, be able to stand in the evil day against the giants that they're facing? Ken, it's good to have you on the program. Hey, it's great to be with you, Chuck. Ken, did you ever hear that song by the Gaither Vocal Band? Um, yeah, I think I did actually. I, I, I probably more than once because uh, I've listened to the uh, the Gaither Vocal Band, you know, now and then on uh, on radio on Sirius XM, and so yeah, I get to hear those songs. Well, it's a tremendous uh, uh, a tremendous song. In fact, uh, I just happen to have a uh, a tape of it here. I'm not sure that it will uh, uh, actually be queued up, but we'll find out. And uh, uh, you are very very concerned. Uh, as a man with uh, six kids and 18 grandchildren, you are very concerned about their eternal destiny, but also you're concerned about the families of American Christians, aren't you? Oh, very much, because uh, one of the things that we're seeing happening uh, in the church is an exodus of the younger generations from the church. I mean, if you look at statistics today, uh, when you look at Generation Z and the Millennials, we're mm-hmm. down to about uh, 11% uh, attending church. But if mm-hmm. you go back to, say, the greatest generation, those born before 1928, I mean, there was uh, something like 56% of those went to church. And mm-hmm. so we have to stand back and say there is a major problem. In fact, as I have spoken all across uh, the nation, one of the things, and other places in the world too, but if we just look at America, and I've spoken in all 50 states and hundreds of churches, even in the Bible Belt areas, you know, I've seen these churches where they tend to be more the older generation and they're concerned because 
uh, their kids don't go to church, particularly a lot of their grandkids don't go to church. And Mm -hmm. we're seeing that loss, that generational loss of the younger generation. So something is dreadfully wrong. And, you know, it coincides with the secularization of the culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, George Barner, who's a Christian researcher, when he... um, did research on Generation Z. He said they're the first truly post-Christian generation mm-hmm. and twice as likely to be atheist as any previous generation. So we, we, we have to stand back and say something is wrong, something is happening with the family, something is happening with the church. Why are we losing the younger generation? And well, well I that's a very I know, good point. I know the answers to that, but... Well, I think uh, I think we do have some of the answers to it. Unfortunately, people don't want to hear those answers. Pastors don't want to hear them usually. They say they do, but they don't. The politicians don't want to hear the answers. The people groups of the nation don't want to hear the answers because everybody feels that they're cool. Uh, a study was done uh, back about 20 years ago. Uh, it came out, I think it was in the Los Angeles Times, that 91% of Americans believed that uh, the country was off track morally and spiritually. Yet, 91% of American parents felt that they were doing a good job teaching their children moral values. You can see the problem. In other words, we don't see ourselves the way we ought to see ourselves. And I remember a a phrase, I think it came from uh, a Scottish phrase, uh, would to God to give to see us, to see ourselves as others see us. And we can't even see ourselves uh, the way God sees us today, and that's our conundrum, isn't it? Well, it certainly is. And I I think, you know, for a lot of people, they really don't understand what's going on because they look at our culture. A lot of Christians, I think, look at the culture and they see, for instance, the gay marriage issue, the abortion issue, the gender issues, racism issue. Mm -hmm. And they look at that and say, look, we've got all these problems that we've got to deal with. But they're, they're in lies a problem. They're not all these problems. They're all right. one problem. Yes. Racism is the same problem as gay marriage. It's the same problem as abortion. It's the same problem as the gender issue. They're different symptoms. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that we have generations that no longer build their thinking on the Bible as the absolute authority of the Word of God. Absolutely. That-, that is exactly right. You put your finger on it. And when you refuse to build your life whether or not you're going to church or not, whether you refuse to agree with God, you refuse to build your life and that of your family upon the authority of the Word of God, you actually have declared yourself a rebel. And rebels are in rebellion against the legitimate authority of God, which means you're a traitor. And traitors get the death penalty, and that's why the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we just don't see it in clear terms like that. We think we can play around, play games, play games with God. We can commiserate, we can whine, we can complain, we can wring our hands about what's going on in the culture and forget that the very same things are happening in God's own house. Oh, exactly. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, See, I get a bird's-eye view of the church that many people actually don't get. Well, that's because you're up there in the ark like a like a dove looking down on the rest of the uh, of the society. Well, um, actually, it's because I've I've spoken in all fifty states in America, and I've spoken around the world. Uh-huh. I've spoken in all fifty states in America, and hundreds and hundreds of churches. And you know what? I see patterns. And you know the pattern I see that the church recognizes we're losing the younger generation. 
And so their answer to it is increase entertainment and decrease the teaching of God's Word and water it down. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've seen is that, now don't get me wrong, I love music. Uh, I play the piano, actually, and I love to praise the Lord through music. But one of the things I've seen is, by and large, a lot of churches have really become more entertainment-focused with a praise team out the front that's more performance-oriented than anything, Mm -hmm. flashing lights and so on. Mm -hmm. And then the teaching of the Word is usually pretty shallow, and it's relegated to a shorter period of time. And they think that that's what's going to keep people there. They, they want to, in a sense, make the church look like the, the world. Exactly. Um, but what they're missing is that we've had generations who've been inoculated and indoctrinated uh, to, to believe that the Bible is not the absolute authority. You can't really uh, trust it. Um, you know, it's, science has proved that... Uh, that the Bible is just a book of mythology. Yeah. Uh, well, that's the reason why we brought you on the program here, Ken. The man who built the ark. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Friends, the book, Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Our special guest today, Ken Ham, the man who built the ark. Now, you say, well, I thought it was Noah that built the ark. Well, he's a modern-day Noah, and uh, God inspired him by his spirit to build a replica of the ark. So he's going to tell us a little bit about it. Uh, Ken, I was privileged to take my grandchildren in celebration of our 50th wedding anniversary just uh, five years ago, six years ago now, uh, to the opening of the ark. Tell us what that's about. Well, by the way, our our 50th wedding anniversary is next, not this year, but next year, next December. So uh-huh. A little bit behind you, but... Uh, yeah, but you're ahead in terms of progeny. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we have 18 grandchildren, that is true. But uh, no, the life-size ark that we built, and it was opened uh, in 2016, mm-hmm. it's actually uh, the second attraction that we built. The first one was the Creation Museum, which was opened in 2007. And it's like a walk through the whole Bible, planetarium, 4D theater, and so on. It, it's an incredible place. People mm-hmm. come from all over the world. Well, when the borders are open, they come from all over the world. Uh, here. <laughs> and just 45 minutes away, we built a life-size Noah's Ark. It's actually one and a half times the length of a football field, half mm-hmm. the width of a football field, and it stands 15 feet off the ground, seven stories high, 10 stories at the bow, 3.3 million board feet of timber, and all three decks inside are filled with teaching exhibits, answering questions about the Bible, about the flood, about... Uh, humanity, the Tower of Babel, uh, how can they get all the animals on the ark, and so on. And uh, really, we did that to help uh, people understand that this was a real event in history. Mm-hmm. It actually happened, and we use the dimensions in the Bible, because, you know, the atheists uh, uh, make all sorts of accusations against the Bible. And one of them I heard, I first heard this in 1975, when I became a school teacher in Australia, 
and that is Noah couldn't fit all the animals on the ark, therefore it could not have happened. And, you know, a lot of our churches, on their kindergarten walls, they have Noah's ark uh, looking like an overloaded bathtub with giraffes sticking out the chimney about to sink at any moment. <laughs> and those bathtub arcs are prevalent in children's books as well and mm-hmm. Sunday school material. Sure. And so kids have been brought up in an environment even, you know, because the majority of kids from church homes go to the public school system, of course, where you know they're, they're told Noah's flood never happened, the fossils were laid down over millions of years supposedly because of evolution and so on. And so this is it's really important for people to understand the Bible is a book of history and the history in Genesis is foundational to all our doctrine and the rest of the Bible. In and fact, so, if you don't if you don't believe the book of Genesis and in fact the first 11 chapters is pretty tough to say you believe the Bible, isn't it? Well, it is because the whole of the rest of the Bible is founded in Genesis 1 to 11. Mm-hmm. I mean even Jesus as the God man in the New Testament when asked about marriage said, "Haven't you read haven't you read, he which made the beginning made the male and female, that's Genesis one twenty seven, and said, for this cause shall man of his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh? That's Genesis 2.24. Wait, wait just a minute. You said that God said and Jesus said he made the male and female. He didn't, make, the, he didn't make them androgynous. He didn't he make, make them both male and female. He didn't make males as females and females as males. How can oh, we but, be? How can we be so confused? Oh, exactly. And I mean, not only that. You know, Jesus reiterates what we're told in uh, Genesis that God made them, and Jesus is God, so it's His word. So mm-hmm. it's His word anyway. But He made them male and female. And Mark ten, uh, it's recorded as well that from the beginning, Jesus saying from the beginning of creation, He made the male and female. And actually, science confirms it because you know we have twenty three pairs of chromosomes as humans and the pair of sex chromosomes we have if you're a male you have x and y if you're a female you have x and x and it is true that because of sin now there can be mutations and problems and there's some uh, issues that people can have you know, you can have someone with uh, three x's or two x's and a y and so on but they're very very small exceptions but that's because it's a fallen world but the point is that doesn't negate the created order god made the male and female and that's a whole basis for marriage. You know, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they'll be one flesh. Uh, Adam was made from dust, Eve from his side. You become one because you are one flesh. So marriage is a man and a woman. So God created marriage. It's an ordained institution by God. The Supreme Court justices of the United States did not create marriage. And neither did the legislatures of the land. Exactly. Okay. So if God created marriage then what God hath put together, and you vowed before God, man cannot and has no authority to put asunder. Exactly. And, and, and not only that, you know, if you think about <clears throat> it, marriage is a God-ordained institution, and the institution that God ordained was a man and a woman, therefore there's no such thing as gay marriage. Now, if I'm writing about gay marriage, I'll put marriage in quotes because there's no such thing as gay marriage. Wait, 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 wait just a minute, though, Ken. I have an article right here on the desk that says that Joe Biden performed a gay marriage. Well, you know, politicians can do whatever they, they want. They're free to say whatever they want. It doesn't negate the fact that it's God who created marriage. 
And what we have to do is judge what politicians do as well as judge what everyone does does against the absolute authority of the Word of God. All right, so are you suggesting that a president of the United States or a putative president of the United States could actually declare himself equal to or over God's authority and perform a so-called wedding on that which God calls an abomination? Well, recently that same president actually said females can do everything that a male can do. Well, that's nonsense. That's ridiculous because physiologically they're different. Biologically they're different. And God gave them different roles. And so, you know, again, if they're not building their thinking on God's word, then it's all their own opinion. It's all subjective. So, you know, who determines from from that perspective, if he's not starting with God's word and even with uh, the day of prayer recently from his, he had a proclamation on the national day of right. prayer, but left the word God out. So, Who's he praying to, or what does prayer mean anyway? And it all becomes subjective. It's all his opinion. It's his worldview. It's the foolishness of man. That's what it is. All right. And well, it is, in fact, uh, so so much so that not only was it set the uh, seventy years of National Days of Prayer, where presidents, every single one of them, declared God to be the one to whom we pray. He did not. Right. But that's not all. Were you aware? that for the first time in all these years, he was the only president who refused to allow a National Day of Prayer gathering at the Capitol. Um, no, I was not aware of that, but yeah. it does not surprise me yeah. whatsoever because he's been making all sorts of decisions that are not based on God's Word. And, you know, again, it doesn't matter who the politician is. We have to judge what they're doing against God's Word. We do have... Uh, the absolute authority of the Word of God. And God tells us that when we judge, to judge righteously. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say you can't judge, but we need to judge with the same standards we would judge ourselves. But we have an absolute standard by which we can do that. All right. Now, your book, I think, is a must-read for Christian parents. And uh, I, I kind of like the way you set it out. It's it's in a small format, uh, packs a wallop. It's called Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. And on the back, you say, Our children are facing cultural giants that spiritual generations could never have imagined. Secularism, depravity, immorality, and apathy are taunting Christians with a barrage of hate and intolerance. Will our children be equipped to stand strong against these giants, or will they be overcome? That is the question Christian parents are asking. Well, I agree with that, but there's one thing missing, and that is that the root of all of it is spiritual rebellion, even in God's own house. Ken, are you aware that the same George Barna that you quoted earlier found just a few years ago that among professing Christian young people, among professing Christian young people 30 years of age and under, only 9% of them believe that Jesus, excuse me, only 20% of them believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And only 9% of them believe in absolute truth. So they oh, absolutely yes. do not believe the Bible, yet they're in our churches and we're claiming that they're Christians. And, you know, a lot of the younger generations have been brought up with this idea that you can trust your feelings because you know what you know much of the church hasn't done 
we haven't really taught them about what it means that man is a sinner and the holiness of God. Right. We have to understand that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so what we can't do is trust our feelings. They've been brought up with this idea that, you know, basically there's more of a trust in man than there would be in God's Word. And that goes back to Genesis 3, sure. where the devil came to Eve and said, did God really say, you can be like God, you be your own God? Our nature is we want to be our own God. Our nature is we want to decide right and wrong for ourselves. And if you think about it, the majority of our Christian leaders, the majority, and the majority of our Christian college professors, seminary professors, and others have said that you can believe in evolution, millions of years, reinterpret Genesis, add that to the Bible. Is it any wonder the younger generation don't believe the Bible is the absolute authority? Because if you can change it and fit it to man's ideas, mm -hmm. then you can do the same with marriage. You can do the same with abortion. You can do the same with gender, which is exactly what's happened. Well, and it's the lordship of pseudoscience that isn't really science, a bunch of theories uh, that are glommed together and uh, not proven. They're, they're just theories, and uh, people are presenting that as science. Just listen to the words, follow the science, follow the science, follow the science, and yet we find that the science changes about every 60 seconds. And so here's the problem, friends, and this book is going to help you. This is a tool to help you deal with this subject. Parents, grandparents, will they, that is our children and grandchildren, be able to stand in the evil day. That's it. $20, excuse me, $19 is going to put this uh, $20 book in your hands. $19 will put this $20 book in your hands. It's hardbound. It is uh, a great, great tool for you. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll get the book, Will They Stand in Your Hands? These are giants in the land. We're facing the giants. Most say, you know, uh, we're like pygmies in their eyes, and we're not able to deal with it. We've got to conform. But uh, what I've been teaching my grandchildren is, no. You've got to dare to be a Daniel. You've got to dare to stand alone. You've got to dare to have a purpose firm, and you have to dare to make it known. That's what I'm training them to do. And quite frankly, we're watching as they, with their struggles with today's culture, they are beginning more and more to embrace not only the truth of the faith, but also the rationale, the absolute persuasiveness of the faith once delivered to the saints, including the book of Genesis. Get the book, Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. Now, uh, how about your kids and grandkids, Ken? Are they having some of the, facing some of the struggles that the rest of the uh, culture is, the rest of the Christians are? Well, you know what? We have, we actually have five children, four that are married, one that's single, and uh, the four that are married, uh, between them, they have 18 children, so we have 18 grandchildren. Here's the thing. You know, the way we brought up our children, right from when they were born, we brought them up on the foundation of the authority of the Word of God. We've taught mm -hmm. them answers to the skeptical questions of our age. We've taught them to defend the Christian faith. Uh, we, uh, either 
sent them to a Christian school or home school, and there's not that many Christian schools that really stand on God's Word exactly. like they should. And we've taught them a true biblical worldview, and they've grown up with the whole ministry of answers in Genesis, the apologetics, the answers to questions uh, that the world has. They've been brought up with the Ark and the Creation Museum. And I tell you, our kids have a passion for the authority of the Word of God. They married godly spouses who also have that passion, and all of our grandkids have been brought up on the same foundation of the authority of the Word of God. Because, unfortunately... You know, most kids from church homes, I find today, are being swept away by that tornado of moral relativism that is absolutely devastating uh, families and and capturing uh, the majority of kids and dragging them out of the church and dragging them to the world. And I I just praise the Lord that uh, with our children, in fact, in the book, Will They Stand?, I I, I talk about our own children and talk Mm -hmm. about what God laid on our hearts uh, in regard to training them. Yeah. Well, that's it's it's very important. You are quite transparent in the book, and I really appreciate that. I think people need to see it's not about theory, it's about reality. We'll be back with Ken Ham in just a few moments, friends, as together we build an ark to save our sons and daughters. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Ken Ham, the prophetic visionary who built the ark there in Kentucky and also the Creation Museum. He is here to talk about how we can build an ark to save our sons and our daughters on the edge of the near uh, of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Before we go further, I'm going to take a risk for live broadcasting and see if somehow I might have been able to queue up Build an Ark by the Gaither Vogel Band. Sometimes I think I feel the way that 
It's time. Yeah, build an ark. What do you think of that, Ken? <laughs> oh, well, I love music, and uh, yeah, build an ark. Actually, uh, the, the ark was built 4,300 years ago. The original ark was built 4,300 years ago, and was a warning to the world yes. that God was going to judge the world with wickedness, uh, and, and wickedness. the world's wickedness, and uh, only only those that were going to go on that ark and through the door, he had Noah put one door in the side of the ark, and only those that went through the door were saved. And, you know, we, we built an ark, rebuilt the ark today, but really to tell people God's word is true, and although there'll never be another global flood, there's going to be a global judgment by fire, and God's provided an ark for us, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am the door, by me if anyone enter in, he'll be saved. And so we need to be uh, understanding Noah's Ark is actually a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of salvation. Mm-hmm. He is the ultimate Ark, isn't he? He is. Yeah, he's the living Ark. He's <clears throat> that one door that we need to go through yeah. uh, to be saved. And so that's why, you know, for our life-size Ark that we have here in northern Kentucky, uh, we, at nighttime we actually light up the door. It has one big door on the side, mm-hmm. and we light up that door with a cross. And inside, as people go through, uh, they come on the second deck, and that's their favorite photo spot is to stand in front of the door. We have a, a lit cross on the door inside, and they get photographs with their family standing there to remind them that mm. no one their family went through a door to be saved. We need to go through a door, and that door is the Lord Jesus Well, you know, Christ. Ken, when I took my grandchildren there on your opening week, we got hit with a uh, a downpour that was so uh, powerful uh, that we thought that uh, maybe that was another flood coming, and we had to get back on board the ark. Oh no, that was just special effects. I tell people, <laughs> I speak, I speak down at the ark uh, a number of times a week. We have a twenty five hundred seat auditorium there now, in uh-huh. the center. and whenever it rains and there are storms, I tell people, yeah, that's just special effects we provide. For you. <laughs> okay, but there aren't going to be any special effects when Judgment Day comes. Uh, it's going to be the real deal. And we want to make sure that our children and grandchildren get on board. And the question is, will they be able to stand in the evil day? This is the evil day, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing a great falling away when it comes to the church, and we're seeing incredible rebellion. Actually, I think what's happening is Romans 1, before our very eyes. Exactly. People have rebelled against the Creator. They worship the, the creature more than the Creator. And we see that God is turning them over to their depraved hearts, and we've seen the the uh, sexual revolution, we've seen the homosexual revolution, now we're seeing the gender revolution. And, you know, you, you can't kill, murder 60 million children in their mother's womb in America and God do nothing. Yeah. I mean, when you think of the way he judged uh, cultures and the Israelites for child sacrifice, uh, what's abortion but child sacrifice in a massive way? And God, I believe, is judging this nation, and we need to stand back and realize what's happening and pray that people will will turn to him. And, you know, many parents have not done what they're supposed to do. Uh, most fathers have not carried out their God-commanded right. uh, responsibility to be the spiritual head of their home, the spiritual uh, head of 
of the wife and the priest of their family and their wives and to raise up generations of godly children grounded in the Word of God. Well, a lot of them don't know how to do that. They don't have a vision for it. That's why I wrote the book Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. You and I are on the same page here, and it was back in, uh, what about, I think it's 2018, uh, when my book Hearts of the Fathers came out, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, and guess who has purchased three-quarters of all those books? Women. Uh, women, yeah. Because women. I, that, because sadly, most fathers have not done what the Lord has commanded them to, but then again, many of our churches haven't taught them, and right. I've actually had fathers come to me when I've spoken on this topic, you know, out at conferences, and I've, I've talked on what the Bible says about raising godly children. We can't throw them to the world to be salt out there until they have salt. We, mm-hmm. Our job is to put salt in them, and and we've got to make it as uncontaminated as possible, yet most have just thrown them to the world, to the secular education system, let them pour contamination in, and we wonder why we're losing them. Yeah, exactly. And I've had many fathers come to me and say, well, my father never taught me how to raise children. I don't know how to, how to raise children. What do I do? Tell me what to do. And that's, what, that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book and other books that we have, yeah. to help parents know how do you raise up children? How do you equip them? to survive in today's world. All right. Well, here's what I want to do, because our books are not duplicative. They're complementary. And uh, I have not done this before. Uh, my book is a $23 hardbound book. And uh, uh, your book is a hardbound book, just released uh, a $20 book. And so what I'm going to do is uh, reduce the price on our book just to get it out there and uh, try to make it as easily acceptable, uh, accessible to as many as, fo- as follows. So, for friends, for your gift of $35 to Save America Ministries, I'm going to put both of these books in your hands. Now, that is uh, $43, $43. Uh, but for $35, we're going to put both of them in your hands, and you'll only pay one uh a seven dollar postage and handling instead of five dollars for each. So you're going to save three dollars total. You're going to save ten dollars that way to get a copy of the book Hearts of the Fathers. That's going to speak specifically to men and uh, help you to see, catch the vision for this moment in time. Will they stand? Will your kids be able to stand? And having done all to stand, to stand. And don't think that by sending them to church is going to do the job. Don't think that by sending them to church is going to do the job. No, that's your job, friends. And your job, men, is a non-delegable duty. You cannot delegate it. You cannot believe that you can delegate it. No, you are the father. You are the father. And that's why in God's great mercy and grace and patience, He declared through the prophet Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he would raise up the spirit of Elijah the prophet to call the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. This is that moment. Do you agree, Ken? Well, we definitely need to be uh, raising up fathers to teach their children. This is a time when this has got to happen because there's been such a neglect in that area. Now, if you want, then, to get this special offer, you're going to have to call us because it's not on the website. 
you're going to have to call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, to get the special offer, Hearts of the Fathers and Will They Stand, for $35 plus postage and handling. You will not regret it. These books will change your life. They will. They'll give you hope amid the darkness. People are wanting to get hope. Hope is not hidden, friends. It's there in front of us, but we have to seize the moment. It's carpe diem. Come on, let's seize the day. This is our moment. Don't you think so, Ken? Oh, definitely. I mean, we, we, look, we're losing the younger generations. This culture is in a mess. Families are in a mess. There's a lack of godly men out there as, as husbands and fathers. There's a lack, lack of godly young men out there in, in our culture. And we have got to stand back and say something is wrong. Yeah. We, have got to, we have got to look at this very carefully. So your book is all about uh, giving the bigger picture and going through your own training, your own upbringing with your parents and showing how they did it with you. And then what you have done with your children and then tied it together with what's happening in our country and uh, uh, the Bible and uh, trying as best you possibly can uh, as one called to the kingdom for such a time as this to paint the bigger picture of recovering of the godly family as the only and final hope for the age. Do I have that right? Well, you know, uh, Chuck, the family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions which God ordained in Scripture, and the family is the unit, the educational unit, that God uses to transmit that knowledge from one generation to the next and to the world around. And if we're not teaching our children, like Psalm 78 says, fathers teach your children, so they'll teach their children. Fathers mm-hmm. teach your children, so they'll teach their children. You know, when we don't pass on that spiritual legacy to the next generation and you lose it, it's very hard to get it back because we're all sinners. And so when when the world in the world where men love darkness rather than light, yep. if we haven't raised up that godly generation, very hard to get them back. Absolutely, if not impossible. Friends, will they stand? That's a question for you. It's a rhetorical question. Will your kids stand? Will your grandchildren stand in the evil day? Get a copy of the wonderful book, uh, $19, on our website, saveus.org. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Are your children and grandchildren going to be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand, to stand having their loins girt about with truth? 
You see, truth is, well, there's a, a terrible casualty in our culture today. Truth is the casualty. It's become unacceptable at almost every level, from the church house to the White House to the schoolhouse to the courthouse. Truth has fallen on very, very hard times. Yet Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man will come to the Father but by me. Yet 80% of professing Christian young people do not believe that. Do not believe that. Which means they can't possibly be followers of Christ. They can't possibly be casting all of their care upon him and trusting him with all of their heart for salvation when they don't believe that he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life. They believe that there are many ways to God or heaven or some kind of uh, solution to man's problems. It's a serious problem we're facing. Ken Ham has his handle on it. And uh, quite frankly, uh, Ken, I think it's a miracle of God to bring an Aussie like you up here to America. You Aussies down there have big problems too, don't you? Oh, yes. I mean, even worse than here, I think. Well, the church in Australia is a mess. Probably church attendance is down. It's like England. In England, church attendance down to about 4%. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Australia, it's sort of, you know, like it is in England, and probably less than 1% are born again Christians. And Australia is a, is a culture that uh, is very, very secular. In fact, even when I was a kid being brought up in Australia, there weren't that many churches. It was a very secularized culture. I tell you what, I, I praise the Lord for a godly mum and dad. Talk about being brought up in a pagan culture, and yet God had raised up a godly mum and dad who stood boldly on the authority of the Word of God, unashamedly. And I think just seeing them, mm-hmm. seeing my father uh, stand in such a, a secular culture, he was the principal of uh, in elementary schools and uh, actually... You know, was promoted every three years, but he would always stand for the Lord. And whereas most of the teachers weren't Christians, and mm-hmm. most of the students and parents, and yet he would still stand boldly and publicly. And I, and even in churches that where we were transferred to different towns, and having churches where there might have been only one church in a town, and yet the pastor was the liberal in some ways in his theology, and my past, my father would challenge that person and, <laughs> in front of us. With, the, with God's Word and challenge what they said against the authority of God's Word. Uh, my father was always uh, looking at what the liberal theologians were teaching so that mm-hmm. he could teach us answers so we wouldn't be led astray. Hey, when, when I look at all that, and they supported missionaries, and they brought missionaries in to proclaim the truth of God's Word and the Gospel, they had a heart for reaching children with the Gospel, all that had an incredible impact on my life. So and your parents had a, hosp- a heart of hospitality as well. Oh, that they absolutely, and people knew that they they always had missionaries staying with them, mm-hmm. and they just wanted people to know the Lord. In fact, my mother uh, told me uh, when even when I was a kid, this had a great impact on me. She told me I remember when I was about uh, ten, eleven years old, where I learned that where she lived in North Queensland uh, on a sugarcane farm, that as a teenager. Uh, she had such a heart to reach kids with God's Word and the Gospel that she would ride her bike a mile and a half and pick up these two little girls mm. and then take them like three miles down to a, a hall where she ran a Sunday school, and then she would take them back home and ride back uh, to her home, and she would put one on the handlebars and one on the bar of the bike, 
and she did that for a long time. And, you know, it was interesting when she met those ladies when the, later in life, uh, when they were quite elderly in their 80s, uh, and she was, um, she found out that one of them was an on fire Christian and the other one was greatly impacted and who said she needed to, to get back to the Lord. I mean, just my, my mother telling me about what she did to reach uh, young people with the gospel had an impact on my life. So well, sure. a godly mother, a godly father, what an impact it has on you. Well, Ken, I believe that, uh, you know, your parents, they did not know uh, the man that you would be and the call that God would put on your life, but their investment has been multiplied a millionfold uh, in and through your life and uh, your gifts and your calling. Uh, you know, I, I bring you great honor for uh, all that you have done and uh it's just it's just tremendous i remember when i took my uh my grandchildren uh, at that time my oldest grandchildren were in their teens and uh early 20s and uh they were very all very science oriented they were utterly fascinated by what happened there uh, what they experienced there at the ark and there was one seminar in particular that just absolutely captivated them. And they talked about it continually afterward. And uh, I just want to thank you for what you have done there, the investment. I know it's got to have, uh, uh, it's taken great faith, uh, almost like Noah, to build that thing uh, in times like these. But I just really want to express my appreciation to you. And uh, this is the moment in time that we, Followers of Jesus Christ have to take seriously in ways that we have never considered, have to take seriously the raising of our children and grandchildren, I think, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Well, you know, we it, it is great responsibility. If you think that every child conceived in a mother's womb is a being that's going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and we mm-hmm. can say forever and ever and ever and ever in heaven or hell. And what an awesome responsibility it is. Children are an heritage from the Lord. They're a, they're a gift from the Lord to us. And when you think of the fact that all these material things, then you can't take them to heaven with you. They're not going to last. You know, my mother drummed into us, even from little kids. It's only what's done for Jesus that lasts. Oh, and, that, for, that quote, know, only one life will too soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will pass. I will never forget it. Yeah, it was it was drummed into me, and she always taught us too: God first, others second, yourself last. God mm-hmm. first, others second, yourself last. And you know, when you think about the fact that you can take your children to heaven with you, you but you can't take any of your material goods. And this life, compared to eternity, it mm-hmm. is nothing. It's like mm-hmm. she used to say: it's like a spit in the bucket that dries up before it hits the bottom. You know, uh, to remind us, it's only what's done for the Jesus at last, and it makes. You know, for my wife and I, we realized the greatest investment for us mm-hmm. is that spiritual investment in our children, and the greatest legacy that we can pass on is that spiritual legacy in our children, that they would know Christ. Isn't that what Paul says, that he counts everything but rubbish, but to know Christ, that is the most important thing in the whole world. What a responsibility yeah, for us as parents absolutely. to well, train children, and that's that's why I wrote this book, is to really get across to people how vital that is and, and what God says about doing it. Well, Ken, that's that's why uh, my wife and I decided not to spend five grand 
to go on some cruise somewhere in celebration of our 50th wedding anniversary, but rather to invest that money to take them to the ark there and to the Creation Museum. Tell us a little bit about the Creation Museum. Well, the Creation Museum, that was really my first burden, and in a way it's my favorite place because it was a burden that goes back to the 70s when I was a school teacher and seeing kids go to atheists. Wait a minute, you were a school teacher like me, huh? I was a science teacher in the public schools. In uh-huh. The yep. 1975, I began teaching, and uh, I, uh, I I would take students to museums. They're always from an evolutionist perspective, sadly. And I said, Lord, why can't we have a creation museum? And in 1980 in Australia, I and one of the board members who helped me start the ministry in our home in Australia prayed on a piece of property and said, Lord, will you let us build a creation museum? And God answered that prayer in 2007 in northern Kentucky. How about that? And that's, Isn't that that's, something? That's a whole long story, and some of that story is in the book, actually. Uh-huh. But uh, the Creation Museum is a walk through the Bible. I always wanted to do this, because people need to understand, and kids need to understand, when you start with Genesis, and the first four C's, we have what's called a seven C's walk through history here. It was one of the you know premier exhibits at the Creation Museum. You walk through creation, perfect mm-hmm. creation, corruption, the entrance of sin and death, catastrophe, the flood of Noah's day, mm-hmm. confusion, terror, Babel, that's Genesis 1 to 11. Now that's foundational to everything. All doctrine, a Christian worldview, the rest of the Bible, everything. And then Christ cross consummation. And to walk through and realize, okay, the world we're living in today has... Uh, was created, but it's gone through corruption because of the entrance of sin and death. It's gone through the flood of Noah's days, where the apostles are over the world, the Tower of Babel. That's why there are people groups uh, all over the world, not races, but different people groups. And then Christ's cross, the promise of the Savior back in Genesis. God steps into history to be the God-man and dies on a cross, raised from the dead. One day there'll be new heavens and new earth to come, and that's what we're waiting for right now. But when you understand that history and build your thinking on that, then you understand the world, and you understand uh, why the world is the way it is and why there's death and suffering. It's because we sinned against the holy God and that we have a problem and we need the same solution, Jesus. And we answer uh, lots of those skeptical questions that people have today as we walk you through the Creation Museum to help people understand the history in the Bible is true. That's why the gospel based in that history is true. And we have Mm -hmm. a planetarium and a 4D theater and we have an insectarium and a dinosaur exhibit. We just opened a pro-life exhibit. I believe it's the most powerful pro-life exhibit in the world called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. We're putting in an exhibit on Israel that will open in mid-July. And, uh, you you know, down at the Ark, uh, one of our next attractions we want to build, it'll probably be two or three years, will be the Tower of Babel to go along with the Ark. And so these are all for families to help them in discipling their own children, mm-hmm. and it's for non-Christians. We have 30% non-Christians who come. And really? They, and the ones that I talk to say they've never heard this information before. It really challenges them, and we've yeah. seen people saved right there at the Ark and the Creation Museum. Very quickly, would you, as a Christian, put your kids in public school? Never. No, never. You know what? The Bible says where to be the salt of the earth, earth, but Mark 9 says have salt in you, and if the salt's contaminated, it's good for nothing. I recognize that we need to raise up our children, pouring the salt of biblical truth, teaching them answers to skeptical questions, teaching them a biblical worldview, preparing them so that they will be able to be a witness for the Lord. Most kids 
Most of the kids, 95% of kids, 90-95% from church homes go to public schools. Most do not survive the system. Look at what's happened to them, and we yeah. need to stand back as parents. And say, well, now we're looking really at some, some similar problems in the uh, so-called Christian schools, Christian universities, and so on. I was a uh, member of the board of directors from for a well-known uh, Christian university for a number of years, and we're just watching the trajectory of Christian universities capitulating to the ways of the culture. Uh, it's, it's going to require parents and grandparents to take these things far more seriously and to stop conforming to the expectations of the culture, I think. Oh, definitely. And just, you know, even with Christian schools, you're right. Many of them use secular textbooks. They just try to add God to secular thinking. Many of them believe in evolution and millions of years. Not all, but the majority do. So don't just think that Christian in name means they're going to be okay. I mean... Parents have to take responsibility for what their kids Amen. are being taught and have to be discerning and check things out very, very quickly. Just like we have to take responsibility for our health uh, care these days. All right. Ken, uh, pray for the men out there uh, that they will have the courage to step up to the plate in this time. Our loving Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, Lord, uh, we just bring before you uh, our families. We thank you for... Uh, for saving those of us who love you and trust you as Savior. We, we thank you for what you did on the cross for us. We know that you created everything, but we know that we rebelled against you. And, Lord, we know that uh, sin uh, affects every one of us. And you, you raised up the family to be able to pass on a spiritual legacy, generation after generation. But so many fathers today have not done that and so many don't even know how to do that we just pray lord that you would uh, convict each person out there to go to your word and, and to say what does your word say about mm. how to be a father uh, what should i do what is my role and that you grant us wisdom to raise up generations of Amen. Amen. in jesus name all right, the book, Will They Stand? Parenting Kids to Face the Giants, a hardbound book by Ken Hamiers for $19. It's on our website, saveus.org. If you want the special offer, my book, Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts Together with uh, Ken's book, we're going to give you an $8 discount or $7 a discount on that. You'll have to call us if you want that for $35, 1-800-SAVE-USA. And... Uh, Become a partner, friends. These are challenging times. We're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour, even today. I hope you understand that and take it seriously. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.